there is still magic in this place. That's a, just a, a complete happenstance that, that is going to change somebody's life forever. Our concurrent resolution would ratify a federal amendment to the federal constitution allowing 18-year-olds to vote. Delaware's coastal zone, for its comparatively small area, has a large amount of heavy industry. House Bill 300 admonishes us. Delaware, you have all the heavy industry you can handle and still remain a land of pleasant living. We in Delaware always do what we believe is right for our citizens. And we don't wait for the federal government. We don't wait for other states. We don't wait for the senator from Texas or the senator from Maine or, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court. We don't wait for them to do what they believe is right. If we have an opportunity right here, right now, to do what we believe is in Delawareans' best interest by providing them freedoms and equalities that they don't have right now, then that's the Delaware legislature's prerogative to do that. And that's what I'm asking my colleagues to do. I'm asking my colleagues today to do the right thing by Delawareans to give them the freedom to marry, to have the equal respect and dignity of that marriage. And that is not something that we need to wait on the federal government for. Legislative Hall is rich with history and tradition. Few people in this building have a better knowledge of these distinctly Delaware quirks than longtime staffers Bernard Brady, Richard Puffer, and Dick Carter. We're going to let them speak for themselves. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. Um, my name's Rich Puffer. I am the chief clerk of the House. I've worked in the building since 1998. I worked over in the Senate for a couple years and then came over to the House as a legislative assistant. And then about 10 years ago, I became the chief clerk. Uh, I'm Dick Carter. I've worked for the Senate in a variety of capacities since April 27th, 1987. And uh, I'm now officially retired, but I still work three days a week uh, as a per diem. Uh, my present title is Director of Special Projects, which uh, I got when I was meeting with uh, former President Pro Tem Patty Blevins, and she says, well, you can, your title can be anything you want. And I said, well, director of special projects would seem to cover a lot of territory. So that's what I am. <laughs> I'm Bernard Brady. I believe I retired as secretary of the Senate on uh, this past New Year's Eve. I came to the Senate as an attache in, on let's see, January 9th, I believe, uh, 19, uh, uh, 1979. I served two sessions um, in the stamping room. And in September of um, 1980, I was appointed uh, Assistant Secretary of the Senate, and I served in that role full-time from December 1st of 80 until I was elected Secretary in January of 1989, and I served there until um, December of 2018. I remember when I first started here, the, the House members in particular, uh, some of them, there were like four uh, representatives to an office. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I came here in 1964 for, as a member of Boys State, and that was before the 
the wings on the north and south ends of the building were built. So it was the old original structure, which was it's very odd. You look at pictures now that in the, in the ends of the House and Senate chambers are windows. And, and they, it was an old story that the old ladies used to tell about a lot of the House staff would go hang out at the swimming pool at the then Treadway Inn, which is now whatever, whatever it's called, I can't remember. And uh, when it was time for the uh, House to go into session, the, the uh, sergeants at arms would raise and lower the shades in the windows on the end of the building, and they would know to come back. But uh, so it was a much different building then. Well, Dick, your office space was unique as well when you first came downstairs in the basement. There was, what, four or five of you in there? Yeah, well, there was, yeah, and, and uh, one of whom was Joe Ulrich, who was a wonderful character of legislative hall history, which you knew far better than I, but he was a, a World War II vet, and he always wore this old Army poncho around. And Joe was a, an amazing character. I'll let you talk, say a little bit about Joe. Well, when I first came here, he um, he came back and forth to work on a bike, bicycle, and uh, he was a very, very humble man uh, who, who would give most of everything he had to charity. Um, he didn't have a whole lot. No, it, 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 he wore the, 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 the uh, army jacket that you were talking about eventually wore out on it, and Joe would wear a piece of canvas with a hole cut in it. Yeah his head to go through and that was that was and he was the journal clerk and his favorite story was that one June evening Joe took this phone call and uh, he operated a machine and Dick maybe you can tell me what it was MST it was a, a copy MS something yeah whatever. but if you hadn't asked me I could have told you but uh the, like a mimeograph yeah. machine. And the story tells you, will tell you a lot about communications here in the hall as well. Phones, when the phones rang, they went into whoever was there to pick it up. So this lady evidently was calling uh, near to midnight about a plumbing problem she was having. And she was talking with Joe and he was being very polite and um, a very humble man, and he told her he would, was happy to listen to her story, but um, he was unable to do anything about it. The Senate was in session, and she would have to call back, um, and when the staff would be able to take a call, staff, limited staff, be able to take the call. And she said, well, who are you? <laughs> and he said, I'm the... MS whatever operator. She said, all this time I've been talking to a recording. <laughs> <laughs> that was his favorite. That was a real favorite. Another person that I shared my first office with was Jack Russell. And Jack Russell was an utterly remarkable character. And I, I only, oh, he, he had a funny story about the history of this place. He had been a columnist for the Delaware State News. And in the old days, there was a, a, there was a closet across the hall from the governor's office, which still is there, but now it's got an elevator in it that goes up to the attic. Well, in the old days, it just had a ladder. And uh, Jack discovered somehow when Peterson was the governor that he could climb up the ladder into the attic and he could sit on a box and he could hear everything that was being said in the governor's office that would come up through the air ducts. 
and he would have all this incredible stuff in his column the next day. And it was just driving everybody crazy, and they never did figure it out. I told Carper that story once when Carper was the governor, and he's sort of looking up <laughs> at the ceiling. But, but uh, Jack said he'd carry his bag lunch up with him, and knowing Jack, I could imagine what the bag lunch consisted of. But. Well, and even before the north and south wings, essentially their desks on the in the chamber, the members' desks were their offices. Because right. there was, I was looking at an old plan from um, Carol Hoffaker's book on the legislature, and it just showed a blueprint. It was the speaker, lieutenant governor, the clerk of the House, and the secretary of the Senate, and then um, a telegraph and it's at a telephone and telegraph room. And that was like the only really public phone in, in Legislative Hall. And Senator Holloway was the first uh, black member of the Senate. Uh, he'd served briefly in the House, and then he, he he was elected to the House in a special election the day after John F. Kennedy was yeah. was assassinated. The election could not be called off at that point. It was. I called. have to say that, that Senator Holloway was the single most eloquent speaker I have encountered in all of my years here. He was an amazingly good speaker. Now, when, when Rich was talking about desks in the chambers, the Senate did not give up the, the original desks. And because the offices, as Rich was saying, uh, on the Senate side consisted of the Secretary of the Senate, where the Secretary is at present, and then you could always, you, there's doorways between those offices. And I remember during the renovations, I thought if there was no reason to take them out, they should be left. So there was the Secretary of the Senate, and then there was an office for the pro tem, and then there was a caucus room, and then there was a stenographer's pool room. So that, they were the, and that was the end of the building. I've told the story many times about the time after he had left the presidency when the senior George Bush was here for some reason, and he was standing momentarily in Joy's office, the, the Assistant Secretary of the Senate's office, and he looks through that doorway, and uh, I don't know if you were in the office at the time. I was sitting at the desk, but, yeah. but it was uh, just full of things as as usual. And I'm a great one to talk about offices being full of stuff. But anyway, and uh, President Bush looks in there and says, "Well, I can see who runs this place." <laughs> it was my desk. <laughs> well, he was right too. One tradition that has persisted through the years is the good-natured fun that happens the first time a new legislator brings a bill to the floor. Sure, so we have a, a tradition in the House, and I'm assuming in the Senate as well, uh, when a legislature, when a legislator has, you know, they're elected, um, you know, they come on board, and they have what's called their first bill, uh, and there's this tradition, uh, it's, it's changed a little bit over the years, uh, where there, it's kind of a hazing ritual, uh, all in good fun. But I, I do remember when I first started in the House, uh, members would bring out code books. And so if your bill was, I don't know, renaming a, a highway or something like that, and there was changed just a little uh, section of the Delaware Code, members would come out and uh, with their code books and look at specific you know, uh, instances of when uh, roads were changed last or something like that and and really quiz you really quiz the the new members on 
like their bill to make sure that they understood, you know, they had done the research, they had, um, and I, you know, it was it was a grilling. Um, that doesn't happen as much anymore. No, I mean, it's, it's more humorous. Humorous. Yeah. Uh, if you ever listen to the tape of first, like this year for our first bills in the house, uh, I think there's more laughing than anything else. You know, it's all good nature and uh, you know, humor is fun, but. Uh, I do remember back in uh, Represent Valahora back in you know the early 2000s. He he was an attorney. He would get out his code book and he would make sure that that member knew what they were changing in the code. And he'd you know I mean in good good nature's fun, fun but uh, he really made sure that they did their homework. Uh, we had so. several of those in the last couple of weeks, and and uh, there was one I, I enjoyed was when they did uh, Senator Wilson's first bill. And Senator Wilson's a wonderful character, as you guys all know. And I had quite a time with him. It was something to do with some kind of farm wagons or farm trucks or something. But, uh, well, and he's an auctioneer, so whenever he... They, got, he, it, they he even st- got him to do some well, auctioneering. When, when, when he, <laughs> everybody would try to get him to do that. Whenever he ran a bill in the house, it was always he'd start with the auctioneering uh, yeah. lingo, and it was, it was pretty funny. But... Uh, but yeah, no, it's 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 tradition. I guess it's I don't know when it first started. Uh, there were great stories, of, evidently, about what it was like here. When oh, back before air conditioning. Air conditioning. I only know a little, what I know from the late mayor of Wilmington, Mr. Baviarge, who was at also a clerk of the house, I guess, in the fifth late fifties, and he would talk about how um, there were uh, awnings on the windows, and they would. Um, spray the awnings with cold water in hopes that if there was a breeze, it would cause there to be a coolness to go through. And he would say that as the hours went on, and they were late night hours, they would put lemon oil on because the mosquitoes were coming through the windows. There was no screens, and the St. Jones River was right there, and he said it would be a hot, humid night. And he said as people became more involved and it's been a while since they I guess perspiring and whatever he said with the smell of the lemon oil (laughs) (laughs) and it was I don't know how they worked well and if you look at where the majority caucuses in each chamber are placed their desks Mm -hmm. closer to the windows windows. Mm -hmm. now I guess that's always been you know you get the breeze a little bit better I don't know if that's yeah, true. That's kind of an urban legend, maybe. Of can, uh, can you imagine on a humid night mm. with the lights on? Well, Bernard, you were telling me once about the emotions. The, high. the, the Air Force didn't the, the Air Force base brought over a, a, a generator, uh, like a portable AC unit that they hooked up to the, yes, the windows and, yes. and were blowing mm-hmm. cold air yeah. in. But through this was, tubes. Yeah, yeah, through tubes. But the, yeah. they had to call the Air Force Base to, it must have been. And it was all or nothing. There was, is, no, yeah. there was no regulation. Right. They either a, had hot, uh, freezing cold air come in or nothing. Right. Can you imagine the, uh, the bricks all, uh, outside with uh, soaking up that heat? And, Everyone who has spent time in Legislative Hall can recall moments that moved them in some way. I would say for me, um, <clears throat> when we passed uh, the gay marriage bill uh, a few years ago, uh, Representative um, Melanie uh, George Smith was the uh, the prime sponsor, and you know it was a very contentious issue. There was a lot of amendments. I think I don't quote me on this, but I mean we had ten, twelve amendments, mm-hmm. um, and j- just her ability to 
discuss, you know, not get emotional, just discuss the issue. Um, any questions that were asked, she was able to, to kind of fend off, um, you know, any concerns or anything that people had uh, about the bill. And uh, just, you know, the, the, the room was crowded. There was people up in the, in the, in the, up, up in the balcony. And when it passed, um, no matter how you felt about the issue, just the explosion of excitement and clapping and hooting and hollering in, in, the, in the gallery was really, you know, that was, I remember distinctly writing down on, on the bill backer, you know, what the vote was, and just thinking, yes, wow, this is, this is one of those moments that I will no, always Speaker. remember. Yes. Mr. Speaker, yes. Mr. Speaker, the roll call reveals 23 yes, 18 no. Having received the Constitution, Majority House Bill 75 is declared past the House. The House will stand in recess for 15 minutes. Am I correct that Senator Karen Peterson and her spouse, Vicki, were the first people to get a marriage license under the new law? Yes, they were, yeah. Were. That was pretty amazing, yeah. too. But uh, just the, you know, because I, I know Representative Oberly. I remember when I was a legislative aide uh, in the early 2000s, and he would always inter introduce House Bill 99, um, which was the, the uh, equal rights bill. And, um, you know, it wouldn't pass, and it wouldn't pass, and it wouldn't pass. And finally, you know, it passed, and uh, I was there to see that and be part of that, and it was, it was just, it was an amazing um, experience. I mean, there are other bills, you know, I mean, even like little bills that you don't really think affect a lot of people, may affect a small group of folks uh, in a positive way, and, you know, just, just, there's so much legislation. I mean, even going back, uh, looking at the journals from the 1970s, where they had a thousand or twelve hundred or thirteen hundred bills. I mean, we have in the House now four hundred bills between the two, the two years. So, you know, I don't know if they've, if there was more things to address back then or or what. But it just the the amount of bills that have, you know, we've considerably reduced. Um, maybe. We've passed everything we needed to pass. I I'm not sure. But. Or the amount of concurrent resolutions yeah. or simple resolutions, right. but um, tributes and memorials. Bernard and I have talked many times about how we kind of invented the tribute and how we created a monster in having done so. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, when you see, and, and, you know, internally we have to produce these, they're eight and a half by 11, um, you know, the signature of the sponsor, it's to um, talk about an event or honor a person who's passed or something like that. And, you know, internally, you know, we deal with these all the time. We have thousands of them over the, uh, the General Assembly. But when you see someone out on the floor, you know, who's being presented, like a team uh, who's won the state championship, uh, and they, you know, they're, all the kids are, you know, looking up and just kind of taking in the whole experience. You know, when they look back and they think, oh, I got that tribute or for, some, for something I did. Or, you never know what yeah. kind of a seed that's yeah. planting in that person's Yeah, life. it's just, uh, you know, for them, you know, it's a big thing. There is still magic in this place. That's a, just a, a complete happenstance that, that is going to change somebody's life 
forever. There is, this place is very unique, and for those of you that, that are, may not know, I'm sure that there, it, it is unique in the sense that it's, it's more homespun than other states. Uh, the, the, amount, the number of legislators who served in this building in other capacities before becoming a legislator, and not, some of them were not staff capacities. I mean, there are the, the famous examples. The former governor of Delaware, um, Ruth Ann Minner, when she became governor, it, I, w I was pointing out, she served in virtually every capacity in this building other than custodial. But then she corrected me one day very lightly and said, you know, Bern, I did have to clean my own desk and empty <laughs> <laughs> my own trash, but she was, she was a page in the, in the House. She was a, a member of the House. She was a member of the Senate. She was the lieutenant governor, thus president she of the Senate. She was the governor's secretary. She was a governor's secretary. Senator Nancy Cook was here as an attache because there were no full-time positions in those days. Senator Brian Pettijohn, this is a modern version, and I know you have them over here with, with those that were, um, when I say over in the House, um, that were legislative Representative fellows. Representative David Bentz was one of our legislative fellows. Senator Pettijohn worked with me when I first became Secretary of the Senate on revamping the phone system in this building. So when he became um, a senator, I reminded him he knew the inside of the walls of this building. <laughs> uh, Governor Carney was a, a legislative fellow, just, I think it was the year before I started here. That would be a very interesting subject matter. Senator Peterson f served as an attache as well yeah. in the House. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, another thing that, I, that really stands out for me is the many, many close friendships between members of opposite parties. And uh, I know that things have become somewhat more confrontational in recent years, but it's still much truer here in Delaware than it would be, say, at the national level. But, but uh, I mean, they were like, uh, some were Democrats, some were Republicans, but they were just the best of friends and really uh, helped each other as much as and they could. And those friendships have endured. That's right. Another one of the really big things that I remember just greatly impressed me and still does was happened soon early in my tenure here was the um, paramedic legislation. And what, well, what it did was it established the statewide paramedic system, established it and funded it. And it was a very difficult uh, process to get it, everybody on board. And what impressed me the most about that I was the Senate staff person who was working on our side because one of our senators was the, the, the Senate prime sponsor, but he didn't do a whole lot, which was, was uh, the funeral director, Bill Torbert. And the, the, the House prime sponsor was Bruce Ennis. And Bruce, I have never seen before or since anybody work harder than Bruce Ennis did to get that legislation enacted year after year after year. And he, it was just an amazing performance for which I don't think he ever got much credit. Representative Bruce Ennis on the bill as amended. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, this issue has been before us a number of years in various forms, as you all know. Uh, I don't need to go into a lot of detail. I would like to briefly state that in Senate Substitute 1 for Senate Bill 1 as amended, it transfers a 1982 
Emergency Medical Service Act from Title 29 to Title 16 as Chapter 97. In addition, it has a new Chapter 98 that provides for paramedic services and sets up the Delaware Paramedic Service Act for the state of Delaware. The concept of Senate Bill 1 for Senate, Senate Substitute 1 for Senate Bill 1 um, is to provide advanced life support offered statewide that's coexistent co with the existing basic life support system we have in Delaware. Really, the program's modeled after the system in Newcastle County. It's a two-tier system. Unless there's any questions, sir, uh, be glad to answer them. If not, roll call. But uh, I've often thought that he, as an individual, saved more lives with that legislation than anybody else ever has. And the other person was Senator Thurmond Adams, who did the enhanced 911 legislation. And I think he was really proud of that legislation. But that also, you know, directly saved hundreds, if not more, lives in this state. And that's something, I mean, it's a, not an insignificant thing. I remember a, a gentleman used to come here um, with um, Division of Communications, and he, he, he really liked telling this story about being a young fellow, um, maybe about 12 years old or in this area, and he and his buddy were out on a um, hot afternoon, and they were driving around on their bike, riding around on their bikes, and they, they threw the bikes against the, the south door and um, said, you know, let's look at this building. So they opened the door and they went upstairs and they were wandering around when a very nice gentleman came along all by himself and said, it's a warm day, you boys look rather, you know, hot and would, would you like a Coca-Cola? And he took them into, there was a dining, a very nice dining room that belonged to the governor's offices then. It was a formal dining area and kitchen. And he opened up the ice box, as they call it, and he took the Coca-Colas out and he flipped them, sat them down and told them to cool off. He had some business and he started making phone calls and whatever, and then they, they got up to leave and they found out it was Governor Boggs. He just set them down. Yeah. They wandered in the building and he was happy well, to see them. It was, it was like, I mean, the governor's office was pretty much open. Open, right. And I mean, if, if you just were a casual visitor to the building and he's in there, you could walk in and say yeah. hi to him. But that, that had a bearing on how how people perceived this building, those that were inside of it. It was all like a home thing. There was no, you didn't need a key to get in, you know. Yeah. You just, but even now when you come in, you, you still go through security, but, you know, we're one of the only legislatures in the United States that allows citizens to come in and sit on the floor during the debate. And I think we're the only one, the House and Senate, to allow uh, agency folks, uh, uh, citizens to, uh, you know, give testimony before their, the, the, uh, you know, the House and the Senate mm -hmm. during a debate of a bill. So, I mean, you know, anybody can come in and people, I'll tell that to people from other states and they're just aghast because normally you have to sit up in the balcony and we do have a balcony, but if you can, if you can come in, you can find a seat, you can sit down uh, for the debates. The most unique, sometimes controversial, but always memorable tradition at Legislative Hall is June 30th, the marathon last night of session that often ends in the early hours of the morning. I guess for my June, first June 30th, I was working in the Senate, so I was a legislative assistant uh, for a couple senators. And I'll tell you, I mean, Chief Clerk now, June 30th is total craziness. It's like a being in the middle of a hurricane and tornado and everything else all mixed in one. 
But when I was a legislative assistant, there's not a lot for me to do. I, you know, we sit around, we go to dinner, we come back, um, kind of listen to the debates. Yeah, if you haven't done it by then, you're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff going up on the floor, uh, debate-wise and stuff. But uh, in terms of being a staff member in the back, it's, it's slow, I, I will say. The June 30th that I always remember most vividly was the one where uh, then Speaker of the House, Terry Spence, decided to do, do his Elvis impersonation. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Las Vegas Hilton. Tonight, we pay tribute to one of the greatest entertainers that has ever lived. But thanks to the efforts of Mr. Terry Spence, this man will live forever. Oh man, God is Sit back and relax. This is 15 you will never forget. This is brought to you by all your friends here in the chamber. Please welcome the true king of rock and roll, Elvis Aaron Presley. And while he's going through this big, long, drawn-out Elvis thing over here in the House chamber, the Senate is sitting over there twiddling its thumbs, waiting for the money bills to, to come over, and the senators are getting more and more and more irritated and agitated. And uh, Senator Cordray, who is a close and remains a dear friend of mine, was a very easygoing man, and I very rarely ever saw him really angry, and he was really angry that night. I'll never forget uh, Senator Cordray and Senator Tom Sharp, who was then the Senate Majority Leader, storming across the lobby into the House chamber to, <laughs> to express their views on this delay. And that uh, was a fairly, you remember that one? And the performance was going on when they yes, when they when they entered the that that scenario of that June thirtieth is a perfect example of what I was trying to say to Jen on the telephone initially that June thirtieth especially the scene that you were talking about had to be reported to me I had no idea yeah. you know as secretary of the Senate 
as Rich was saying, yes, it's crazy, but it's a contained craziness. There was a certain, like a buzz that filled the hallways. It's like, the, I always think of it as the June 30th buzz, and you know what I'm talking about, Joy. And you see all these people that you wouldn't normally see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there, there were pe- people that this would be their... I don't know, it would be like the Mummers Parade and New Year's Eve and everything, and, and they would bring their families. They you would come see to watch. Every, yeah. I only see them up in the balcony June 30th. You, you know, know, and... and, and uh, something in a sad way, it was a very, very memorable day for me, was, was the, when they had the, the, the uh, funeral thing for Bo Biden, and I was standing in the lobby sort of helping to direct people into the Senate chamber, and I had to feel, and there were thousands of people here that day. And I had the feeling, I've always had the feeling with this place that if you stay around here long enough, you're going to see everybody that you've ever known in any context in your entire life in Delaware. And uh, that day was sort of like that whole idea in microcosm. And I saw people that day, I mean, I saw like old men, just newborn babies, uh, young families. I, I just saw people of every age, rank, uh, geographic location. And I thought to myself, you know, Delaware really is like a family. And I don't know if that may be true, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Montana or, or uh, Louisiana too, but it really seems to be true in this state. It's just like a big family. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, and on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.